That was pretty awesome, huh? Adults? Well, we are talking about Philippians, and we're actually probably going to get to that verse today. I know we've been talking about that verse for about four weeks, and I'm finally getting there. Get off my back. just want to kind of refresh and kind of go over again what we talked about last week as we began into Philippians chapter 1, and we've been looking and we still are looking through verses 3 through 11. We may or may not finish that up this morning. We'll see. Um, depends on how long I decide to talk, I guess, and, and what God's doing among us. But what we're really looking at here in this message is the marks that we see of true believers, of those genuine believers, of mature believers. And we're, we're looking at what that looks like. And the first thing that we looked at was there's the mark of a thankful heart. And, and we see that in verse 3 where, where, where we're thankful to God for what He's doing for us. He, he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He has a very thankful heart, a very fond heart of these people in Philippians and in Philippi as to who they are and to what they're, they're doing for him. And then we, we looked in verse 4. It says, Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. The mark of a mature Christian, of a mature believer, is that of prayer. That we are a praying people. That, you know, Paul says that he was always praying for them. And, and many times, you know, we, we confuse, I think, that we need to be praying unceasingly. That, that, that we, because we've been maybe again in our legalistic approach to things, we think, well, the only way I can pray is with my head down and my eyes, you know, my eyes closed, my head down and bowed. You know, you can pray to God throughout the day. That's what's important is talking to Him, praying to Him. And, and Paul says, I'm always praying for this church. The other mark we looked at last week is the mark of joy. That's a huge one. You know, I, I shared last week that I, I had done a top 10 list, which ended up being a top 11 of joy, and I could have gone a top 100, but, you know, I would have ran out of time when I did that. But, but joy, Paul here is in prison, could be facing death, but there's a joy in his heart. And he's sharing this joy with his people, and these people bring joy to him. And so we, we started talking about joy. What does that look like? Well, we looked at the, the fact that joy is divine, that, it, that it's possessed and given only by God. There's this divine joy that he places in us. But joy also doesn't depend on circumstances or happiness. We can be, we can be sad yet still have joy in our hearts because that's what God gives us as well. We talked about joy coming and springing from our faith and, and how that looks. And we talked about the, that joy is of that future reward that, that <coughs> it makes us faithful. We talked about the source of our joy. And, and, and there's several things that go with it. That there's that fellowship of the Father and, and of His Son and how that brings joy to our lives. And, and that victory over sin and death. I don't know about you, but that brings a great joy to my life. That I'm not, I, I have victory over sin and death. I don't have to sin. I'm never going to die. I'm not going to face that eternal death that some will if they don't come to know Jesus Christ. Talked about repentance brings joy. Remember the day you repented and gave your life to Christ and said, I just give it up? Think of the joy that you had. Could have been some fear in there. But there's a great joy that this hope of glory brings joy. That the Lord's Word, the, the revelation, the commandments of His Word, the promises of His Word brings joy. Those commandments of Christ, the will of God, will bring joy as we obey Him. As we do that good job for Him, those good works and, and study His Word and all of those things, that, that joy wells up within our hearts. That prayer brings joy. That the presence and fellowship of genuine believers brings joy. 
the prayer and fellowship. Also the converts bring joy. When we're, when we're leading people to Christ and they're surrendering themselves to us, that brings joy to our hearts. Hearing from others that, 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 that walk in the truth as they discuss their, their testimonies and things with us bring joy. Which, by the way, while I'm on that, Part of our services, if you want to give a testimony, if you want to talk about what the Lord's doing in your life, we want to hear for you, from you, and we'll make time in the services for you. We want to hear testimonies. We want to hear how you're walking in the truth because it brings us joy. Giving brings joy. Giving of our, uh, ourselves, of our time, of our talent, our, our tithes, our offerings, all of that, that giving brings joy. And then we talked about the mark of fellowship. And I kind of want to refresh on this a little bit more as we go through it because we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be partners in this, what it means to be fellowship in what, fellowshipping in what we're doing. And there's two significant points about our fellowship. The source of the fellowship, hear me on this, is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great salvation of God is the source of our fellowship. That's important. There's, there's things that go along with that. Father, we thank you again for our day and, and the time that we have together to discuss your word. Lord, we thank you for um, just all the exciting things that have already happened this morning, Lord, as we've attempted to bring glory and honor to you. I, I, I thank you, Father, for the story we just heard of the trees and, and, Lord God, just how you work everything for our good and how you do complete that work in our lives. Father, we thank you for our time in your scripture this morning. Please bless it, Lord God. Don't let us be distracted by anything, but to be attracted to your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 5, he says, In the view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The source, again, of that fellowship is the gospel, the, the salvation that God brings to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the news that he died for our sins, the news that he had risen again, and that he conquered death, that he will live with God and prepare a place in God's home for us. We, as Christian believers, we have fellowship. We have a spiritual bond together. We have a spiritual union together because we've experienced the same salvation, the salvation of God. That's what binds us together. See, we tend to think as human beings because we differ on some things, we shouldn't fellowship. Wrong. We have the most important thing in common as true, genuine believers and followers of Christ, that we have fellowship in His gospel. That's what matters. That's our task. That's our, our purpose. We've embraced the same faith. We as genuine believers, we, we believe and have committed our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live and to proclaim that gospel. That's what our fellowship is. Because we're true believers, we're bound together around the gospel, all living the same kind of life, doing the same kind of things. Not like mindless automatons, but as children of God who glorify in the calling that He has in our lives. We are bound together in the Spirit of Christ and of His fellowship. That's what binds us together. That's what genuine fellowship is. Fellowship of believers also exists from the very first day of salvation. You saw this. He says, from the very first day... This Philippian church, they had been through a lot. Yet they still had fellowship because, and, and, and through their differences, they worked it out according to Christ, according to His Word, not according to their feelings. They followed God. They handled those, those problems in Christ. They did what God commanded them to do. 
I had shared from, with you Lehman Strauss last week. I want to read it again and then we'll move forward. Lehman Strauss says this. He says, There was no conflict, no confusion, but continuance. A continuing fellowship is a prayer fellowship. Today, a very narrow conception of fellowship prevails. If we attend the same church, recite the same creed, say the same prayers, eat at the same church supper, and socialize with the same crowd, we call this Christian fellowship. But is it? For years, I have watched all of these things going on among professing Christians where there was often little conception of true fellowship in the gospel. Among Christians, there are two, there are many, there may be difficulties and disappointments along the way, but never a disruption. Did you hear that? Even in, the dis, dis, in these difficulties, these, these trials, these temptations, he says there, there should be no disruption where there is prayer fellowship. I want to continue this morning with the marks of, of, of the true Christian, the true believer, that, that mature believer. And, and part of it also is the confidence in God's salvation. The confidence in His salvation. In verse 6, it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, He's saying that God will complete His good work in us as believers. That's a promise, folks. Kiddos, that's a promise to you. Confidence and assurance are two uh, of these, what I would call, striking traits of genuine believers. They stand out among genuine believers. God's Spirit actually lives within our hearts and our bodies if we are a true genuine believer. John 14, 16 through 17 says this, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Word cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. The Bible says you know Him. You know Him. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. See, the high price was His Son, Jesus Christ. He purchased us for a price. The Spirit of God actually will bear witness with the Spirit of us. He bears witness with us. What it is that, 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 that we're going to be redeemed someday, right? We are going to be presented perfect before God is what this is saying. And, and the presence of the Holy Spirit within our body is the very guarantee of our salvation. It's the seal. It, it's... It, it's it's what God does to, to, to do this for us. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also, listen to this, sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel lesson of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. We have that. We, 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 we have this guarantee of our salvation because of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. It's the seal of God. That's what we have in common. We have absolute confidence in the work of salvation or redemption which God has began in our lives. Isn't that exciting? He says He will continue. Isn't it good to know God won't give up on you? 
isn't going to know that God will, as he promises, complete his work in you. Like the trees that may not look like the way we thought it was going to be. But we should never give up. We should never grow faint-hearted because God is going to complete the work. It just may not look the way we want. It, 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 you know, maybe we're looking at the shortcut to it and God wants to take us on the long route. The work begun by God is a good work. Did you see that? It's a good work. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, that's, that's this work that, that revolutionizes or really kind of radically changes our life if we're true, genuine, mature believers. It's changing us, no matter what kind of life that we were living. No matter who we were, that once God converted us, this, this new believer that we become, we begin to live a good life because of Christ. See, we couldn't live that good life without him. That's what takes away that argument. Well, if I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. No, you won't. But it's God who has began a good life. It's God who has began a good work. You can live this good work. You can live this good life now because of Christ. What is that a life of? And let me, let me point this out so it's clarified for us what this good life is. It's a life of righteousness, of purity. It's a life of holiness. It's a life of love and joy and peace. This life that we have, that God is completing in us, is one of faith, one of humility, one of control. That's the good life. It's not owning a bunch of things. It's not running around like a chicken with our heads cut off, feeling free to do whatever I want. But it's being all those things that God has called us to be. The good work, and hear me in this, is incomplete as long as we live on this earth. It's incomplete. The Bible says He is completing When does completion come? At the end. Amen. He continues to work. See, that needs to be an encouragement to us, folks. You know, in your Sunday school classes, I think, or at least ours, we were talking about encouragement today. This scripture is such an encouragement to me to know that even when the days look darkest, I know that God is still working in my life to complete this good work in me. And I can say, praise be to God, because I'm not feeling very workable today. But that doesn't mean God's given up. And I can be encouraged that He's working in my life in that way. We will never be perfected as long as we are just a man on this earth, a woman on this earth. There's always work for God to do. Don't you love that? I mean, I wonder if that hits you wrong when I say that. There's always work for God to do. God shouldn't have to work. Really? Aren't you glad He is? There's always a work for Him to do in us. God is always working within our lives as believers to make us more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Kids, God is working in your life to make you more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Teens, God is working in your life to make you more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That you can trust Him and depend on Him that every day of your life He's working on you. Just like me. Probably has to work on me a little bit harder. God's always making us more and more pure, more and more faithful in His service. In His service. The good work that's going to be completed when Christ returns to the earth, that's when it's completed. At that time, we as believers, we're going to be transformed into the perfect man, given the perfect body, 
Isn't that exciting to know? And, and we're going to worship and we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in perfection at that point throughout all of eternity. That's exciting. John 17, 9 through 11. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. That's our Savior talking there. He's saying, God, hold on to him. Hold on to him. He is working a good work in our lives. Verses 7 and 8. I can tell you now, I'm not going to get done with this message. I may get hung up here and we still have the Lord's Supper and some fellowship to do. Amen. Verses 7 and 8. I might hang here. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, Paul says. He says, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The mark of a true, mature, genuine believer is the mark of Christian partnership. See, I love that example that Becky did today, tying their legs together. We are partners in this. If you are a genuine believer, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, you and I, because I'm one, we are partners in this. We do this together. That's how God has done it. And I want you to see how closely bound together Paul and this church were. These people, they were partners in heart. This is important. Paul loved them as he loved himself. They are partners in the heart. They held themselves dear in each other's hearts. And they were constantly filled with the thoughts of each other. Paul was filled with thoughts for this Philippian church. And the Philippian church in turn was filled with thoughts for him. Their hearts were, were, were partnership together. But they were also partners in the suffering of Paul. And that could only happen because they were partners in the hearts. What that means is they were sympathizing with Paul in his imprisonment. They were suffering along with him. They were, they were, they were sympathizing. They were sending hope to Paul as he was in prison. And they were themselves suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same kind of suffering Paul was. They may not have been in prison, but they were under persecution. Just as Paul. The point comes here that the affection between Paul and the Philippians was a very tender affection. And it was buried in their hearts and it went out to each other. What one experienced, all the others felt, even the sufferings of each other. The Bible says we should cry with those who cry and joy with those who joy. But we can't do that if we're not partners of the hearts. The problem with the church today, the church as a whole today, is nobody wants to be partners because, well, we're just too busy. And if we just keep it on the surface, well, that'll be okay, right? Like I said, Henry, how was your day? Cool, don't really care. I maybe just want you to think I do, but I really don't have time for you today, Henry. I've wasted all my patience in the schoolroom today. Trust me, when you're in our Sunday school class, I will use what you say. I should probably do the memorandum or whatever they do at the police force, right? Whatever you say can be and will be used against you. 
Folks, I want you to hear me today. I want us to be better than this. I don't want us to just be people who are a surface body. I want us to be a body who do fill each other's hearts, who are partners in each other's hearts, that we can experience these things together. It's what we need. Too many of us feel like we're out on our, on our own, that we're alone. Isn't it interesting how in America today people can feel more alone than ever in a crowd? It's not the way it's meant for us. It's not the way it's meant for us. We are partners in this. I want you to look at the picture of this, the, the kind of sympathy that was needed for those who suffer. We ourselves need to understand that, that we have to learn to be partners in suffering first. Then and only then can we begin to bear each other's burdens and truly minister to each other as the Bible has commanded. Romans 15.1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear, weakness, bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. <coughs> You know the times I don't want to be strong for you? The times when I'm selfishly going, well, I've gone through some of it myself. It's time for me to be happy. It's wrong. It's wrong. When I'm at my strongest and I see you at your weakness is when I should, for crying out loud, be at my strongest for you. No excuse. I don't care what I've been through last week or last year or last month or the last hour. I need to carry your burden. That it might be lighter for you, that you can come through it quicker. That you can feel the presence of the Lord God Almighty saying, I'm going to complete this work in you. I'm going to complete this work in you. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why we are here. We are here to help each other out in that time of need. Why? So that we can experience God's grace in that time of need. See, I think we miss the equation here. We think, well, I've got God's grace. I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Yet God has knit us together so that we can experience His grace through each other as we are there to sympathize and to build each other up. As we are partners in the heart. As we are partners in the mission. But we're also partners in the gospel. The Philippians here, right? They, they hadn't given up on the gospel. Even though they were going through a lot, they hadn't given up on the gospel. And they hadn't really become silent or complacent in sharing the gospel. See, they hadn't got the attitude of, well, we've got it all right. We're okay. We don't need to share it with the rest of the world. And why is that? I think it kind of goes back to the last part because I really don't want to share the burdens that the world has. It's too heavy. Not in Christ. I can do all things because He's strengthened me. I either believe it or I don't. This Philippian church hadn't done that. They hadn't grown complacent in sharing the gospel. They were actively defending and proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Christ, even amongst persecution, even amongst those within even the body might have been attacking them, those false teachers. The church and its members were very busy for Christ. They hadn't, let me tell you something, folks, they hadn't gotten in their bunkers. They hadn't just, they hadn't said, let's just step back from everything because we're hurting. 
Let's just stay here for a little while. They didn't do that. They continued marching forward in a line as a strong army together. They kept continuing to be busy for Christ. Not busy just to be busy, but busy doing the work that he had called them to do. They were actively bearing witness to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it might have meant their death. Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, you are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. You know what I like about that verse? He says, you are to go into all the world. He didn't say, hey, occasionally what I want you to do is go into all the world. He's saying, as you are going about your life, as you are out there in the world, because yes, you're out there in it, you're not of it, but you're in it. I want you sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. God doesn't put an if in there. He doesn't put anything in there, but that as you go. They were partners in the grace of God. Paul was was expressing this this grace of God to them, right? This favor and blessing that God had. And the Philippian church was expressing the same grace. They were doing this together. God was pouring out this rich blessing on both Paul and the church. So the question is, well, why was God pouring a blessing out on them? Maybe it doesn't even look like they were being blessed in all that they were going through. What was it that was causing God to so richly bless these two? And I'm going to tell you what it is. It's their faithfulness. Their faithfulness in knowing that God will complete that good work. Their faithfulness of knowing that they are true partners in this together. That that they are faithful not only just to Christ, but to each other. And they won't give up. They won't stop. They'll continue to march forward. They're partners. They're faithful in this. That's marks of mature believers. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Philippians 4.19 says, and we've been through this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply. They're also partners with Christ. If you have the King James Version, one of the words used there is bowels. (coughs) We don't like to say that word. You know what it means? Tender mercies. Compassion. Deep affection. When Paul says there that, that how he longed for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus, he's saying what a tender mercy he has, what compassion, what deep affection he has for them. And it was the tenderness of Christ himself that, that Paul had for the Philippian church. He longs for them, he says, with the very affection and tenderness of Christ himself. Not of his own, but of Christ. See, if we could learn that, if we could learn that we need to be tender and merciful towards one another in Christ and through Christ, not through our own strength, we'll do it a lot better. Because in my selfishness, I don't want to be tender and mercy towards you at times. Nor do you me. But in Christ who strengthens us, we can do all those things. We can be that. He's doing this in Christ. It's that of Christ himself. And how desperately do I as a pastor and we as a church need to be and have this tenderness and affection for each other? All of us. You know, we've shared many times where the men in our men's group, we always talk about having each other's backs. See, that's kind of our way as men of being tough guys saying, hey, I'm tender and merciful towards you. But that kind of sounds, sounds kind of sissy, doesn't it? I got your back. I can puff my chest up with that one. But when I go, Henry, I'm so tender and merciful towards you. I had to say that to Henry because I've been picking on him all day. 
We need this, folks. We need to have this passion for one another. We need to have this intimacy with one another. And, and, and all around. We need to hold each other with the tenderness and affection of Christ himself. The great need of the church today, our church, of all church, the corporate church, the universal church, is for partnership. It's for partnership. This partnership among its members. Us as believers, we desperately need to become partners with each other in, 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 in this ministry that Christ has for us. It's the partners in the heart. It's partners in suffering. It's partners in proclaiming and defending the gospel. It's partners in the grace of God. It's partners with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be as a church. That's the new beginning that God has given us. Because maybe along the way, we've gotten it wrong somewhere. And maybe now we can start fresh. Maybe now we can be exactly who God has called us to be. The Bible says in John 13, 34 and 35, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, in the Bible, when it's said once, it's important. When it's said two times, it's like, whoa! But he says it three times here. Love one another. Can we look at each other and say we do that? Can we look at each other and say we walk out these doors and the world looks at us and goes, they are true disciples of Jesus Christ because I see their love for one another. See, that's the new beginning. That's what God has for us, folks. That's what we're talking about. I'm going to wrap it up there because we have the Lord's Supper. The reason I wanted to preach this message before the Lord's Supper is because the Lord's Supper has so many things to look at, one of which is unity. The unity of the church. And I know Henry's going to talk a little bit about that, so I'm not going to steal his thunder. But it's partnership. It's one of the reasons that we wanted to have our fellowship after the Lord's Supper, because I really do want us talking about, what does this partnership look like? What, what do we need to be doing together? Maybe you start running by some ideas by each other, or maybe you see something in somebody, hey, you look like you could do something here in the church that we're not getting done. What do you think about doing that? Those are the discussions I want you to have. Not, hey, it's a great day out there. It's warm, isn't it? Don't care. Moving on to the next guy. How about we begin to have a deeper discussion? How about we begin to have that prayer fellowship, that partnership together that we're supposed to have because we know one another? We talked in our class today that one of the ways we can encourage each other, first and foremost, is by knowing each other and where the encouragement needs to come. This morning, maybe you've heard something, maybe you're struggling, maybe you feel alone. Maybe part of the reason you feel alone is because you've never really given your life to Christ. You're not following Him. But all this sounds really good. You can be a part of this by giving your life to Jesus Christ, by asking Him to be your Lord and Savior, by confessing that He's the one and only Son of God, that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a perfect life, that He died on a cross, and He's risen, Lord. If you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. Would you give your life to Him this morning? After this prayer and a little bit of time to think about it, to contemplate as Henry gets ready, um, I'm going to be up here in the front if you want to come and talk to me. If you want to talk to me afterwards, great. Let's get things going. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for our day. Lord, for this time in Your Scripture. Your Scripture is so powerful, Lord. It, 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 It wears me out, Father God. But I thank You. Lord, we have decisions to make today. You have given us this new path, this new beginning. 
God, we've gotten a mulligan as a church body. Let us take hold of this and do it. Let us become the partners in in this job, in this mission, in, in this commission that you've given us, Father God, that we will be those people, that we will learn to love each other as you have loved us. That, God, our hearts will grow together and we'll be able to to cry with those who cry and, and have joy with those who have joy. Help us to no longer be selfish, but to reach out to one another in your name. Father, if there's someone here today who just needs to give their life to you, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.